0: A couple weeks ago, I was on TikTok, and yes, I do observe TikTok every now and then, and I've been sucked into the vortex of TikTok. If anyone had, like, you remember uh, your first time, you're like, why is this so, like, addicting? You just keep scrolling, and then this guy pops up about an hour later and is like, hey, you've been doing this for way too long. You need to go get a glass of water. But anyway, that's irrelevant. Uh, But one of the things I like on TikTok is all the little iPhone Tips and tricks that you can get, and um, a few weeks ago I was on there, and my son Michael, he has a TikTok, and his are funny. You know, we only see him in like the worship setting, and uh, and he's you know, you know, being you know, a leader in the church, but on TikTok he's a little silly. But one day he did something pretty neat. He he pulls out the brick of a, a iPhone charger. And he's like, hey, I seen this thing on TikTok and I'm watching him expect something funny, but it wasn't funny at all. But he uh, he says, I can make this thing stick to the wall. So I'm like, okay, you got my attention, I'm gonna watch this. And uh, and he does. He like does this little magic rub thing on the wall, and and the the brick sticks to the wall. Like you would think this thing would fall, but it's like sticking to the wall. So not that I am skeptical because he is my son <laughs> oh he's in the room <laughs> have you not been in the last two services Oh, <laughs> uh so uh i'm like i'm gonna try this so i go and i'm like and it sticks and i'm like okay it just must be that wall i go to go to the dining room And the brick sticks to the wall, and I'm like, no way, it works. I bet you I'm not the only one who sees little things like that on TikTok or Facebook or some post you've seen, and you say, I can't believe it, and then you go do it. Does anyone else do that? You got to see it to believe it. Some of you, you work those magic potions and make your own soap, kind of hippie-like. Like, you see, like, oh, look at this. It's, like, way better than store-bought. No, I like the chemicals. I like the smell good. (laughs) But some of us, when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, we do feel this way. We hear the story, and we're a little bit skeptical. And I know... Because it's Easter Sunday, some of you, you're here because someone like said, I'll make you a ham, just come, come to church, and we'll have dinner afterward, and you know what you're going to hear, you're going to hear about the resurrection of Jesus, but honestly... Um, some of us were in the room and honestly just sounds like a fairy tale it sounds like some made-up thing and how can this be true or maybe you're here and you grew up in church but when you got to college some professor convinced you Christianity is real is made up or just some crutch for weak people and said the right thing it was like a house of cards he said that one thing and it pulled it out and your whole faith collapsed and I'm here today hoping i I don't know if I could give you pure evidence, but I want to give you clues, some evidence that the resurrection of Jesus really did happen. And I hope that at a minimal, you would leave today thinking about this, because if it's true that Jesus rose from the dead, that has massive implications for your life. So, and it is true. Uh, I say not just because the Bible says so, but I've encountered a resurrected Jesus in my own life. And I want to share this with you today. So if you do have your Bibles, if you don't, it'll come up on the screen. I want to keep reading. We already started out in the first eight verses during worship. But I want to kind of keep reading this and talk through um, the skeptic part of the resurrection. Because it does seem like nonsense when you hear it. But it isn't. Verse 9. These women that we already read about, they encounter these angels. They go back to the 11. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and others with them who told this to the apostles. Now watch this. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Do you know that even the first Christians had a hard time believing of a resurrected Jesus? You can actually visit an empty tomb where Jesus was laid today. You can go to Israel and see an empty tomb. But we don't believe in Jesus because there's an empty tomb. And this is what, this is why this seems like nonsense. Because I'm sure they're thinking what every skeptic's thinking. Well, they moved his body. That's obvious. Like, if he's not in the tomb... You moved his body. We don't do it because there's an empty tomb. We do it because he really did rise from the dead. But you're not alone if you struggle with this because even the early Christians struggled with the resurrected Savior. Peter, however, he got up and he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away again, not really getting it yet, Wondering to himself what had happened. I want to give you, there's much more than we have time for. Because I think there is very strong evidence, just if you just want evidence, there's very strong evidence that Jesus really did rise from the grave. I want to present four things that might help you. These are clues that this really did happen. And you say, well, you can't really give us evidence. I, the evidence you might want to see is, is provide a body for me. Or you can't just say you've experienced it and that's the evidence. Listen, I understand we can't produce a body of Jesus. But it doesn't mean he isn't physically present. But he is. I can't prove to you that I love my wife. Science can't measure love. Science can't measure hope. I can't give you evidence that I love my wife but perhaps you observing how we interact, how how we talk to one another, how we spend our lives together, you could be convinced their love's real. And I hope today you're convinced that the resurrection of Jesus is real. And let me say it a little differently. We are not just looking at facts and evidence. It's not just some historical event. The resurrection... Of Jesus Christ has implications for everybody there's power in it today you can encounter just like they did 2,000 years ago a resurrected Savior well what's the evidence he rose from the grave four, four thoughts number one women were the first eyewitnesses to encounter a resurrected Savior it was women and at first you might think like well how's that evidence because in the ancient culture, the Roman culture, one women, where it's not like today, they weren't, they were viewed as not credible. It's not like today where there's women's rights and they have a voice and the equal vote and equal pay. There's, none of that existed back then. Women in the first century had no social status. They 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 were their credibility was undermined. They couldn't even appear in the court of law legally because their word was as is not good. So if you wanted to invent a resurrected Savior, in ancient times, you would have never had, you would never start the story out as a that a woman seen it. It would have been a very high-profile person, a religious leader, if you will. It would certainly have been a man. Only God could have known, let's reveal it to the women because they will have to tell the truth of the resurrection. If we start with the women the men will have to get behind them. And there's all kinds of, I think, other implications that for, for early first Christians, women is, is a part of that. But the fact that God chose women first is number one uh, evidence because that none of the ancients would have believed that. Number two, so number one is women. Number two is the instant birth of the Christian movement. There was a massive worldview shift in the minds of early uh, uh, first Christians Christians who were Jews, um, a massive shift took place in their mind. First off, the Jewish mind could have never comprehended a person rising from the dead, a single person as being their Savior. They wanted a political Savior. They didn't think of Him as a Savior of their soul, as as God among us. And they did believe in a resurrection, but it was everybody getting a resurrected body one day, someday in the future. It would all happen at one time, all of us, not a single person. So that was a foreign concept to their mind. Two, the Greeks didn't even want a resurrection. They viewed the the physical body as something you didn't even want, that once you died, that was going to be better. Why would you want to come back to earth? So for the Greek, which was the culture that, 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 that Israel was in at the time, the Roman culture was at a Greek mindset, Either one, the Jew or the Greek, it was incomprehensible, but yet somehow overnight, an instant movement of Christianity was created. There was only about 100 Christians when he rose from the dead. He revealed himself to 500 people. This is documented. There are historical documents outside of of the Bible, outside of Christianity, not even Christian documents, that document there was a man named Jesus who rose from the grave. Josephus records this and others. There are 500 that encounter him, but overnight 3,000 come to know Jesus, and instantly the church is made. You can't explain an instant movement unless there's a resurrection. And the first believers had a resurrected Savior at the center of their faith. Now why that's evidence is because no movement in history has ever happened instantly. All movements take decades. There are conversations, there are debates. There are scholars, and it takes, I mean, think about the civil rights movement. Even today, we still not figured that out. I mean, 60 years later, we're still trying to figure out some civil unrest among us. And even take it all the way back to the Civil War of the 1860s, even then. So 160 years later, we're still working on this movement. But Christianity began in a moment. How do we explain that unless the resurrection of Jesus was real? It was real. A resurrected, centered view reality for the early Christians. Number three, 11 apostles were martyred for their testimony of Jesus. Now, I might give you this. Someone could die. So the Peter was hung on a cross upside down. I think Thomas was speared in the nation of many. One, one of the other apostles was actually filleted to death. I mean, the way they died, The 11, John lived. He died a national death. But the other 11 apostles actually recorded, this is recorded in history, died believing Jesus rose from the dead. Now, someone might say, well, they made it up. That's the part that confuses me. I would say you might die for something you believed if it was false but didn't know it was false. You might die if you believed it. But if you made it up, I have a hard time believing. Maybe you had one crazy one. Okay, maybe one out of 11 might do something crazy and die for something he knew was a lie. But I don't think all 11 disciples would be willing to die for a lie they know was a lie. The, because it wasn't like, oh, you're, you're going to, you know, like, asphyxiation or you're going to go to the gas chamber. It was None of that existed back then. When you died in a Roman culture, it was excruciating. You would not want to die this way. And I think if it was a lie, you would have instantly said, you know what? Never mind. We made it up. Why were they willing to die if it was a lie? They weren't willing to die for a lie. They were willing to die for something they known to be true, that Jesus did rise from the dead. And my last thought on this is 2,000 years later, here we are still encountering a resurrected Savior. There are two almost 2.4 billion Christians alive today that bear the testimony that Jesus has changed their life. How is it possible that billions are alive on the earth right now and billions probably before us? have bared testimony, I too have encountered a resurrected Savior. And it's revolutionized my life. I personally can say this. Jesus has changed my life. It's not just some fact that took place. I don't think anybody would argue that Jesus walked upon the earth. Even atheists acknowledge this. Most people know. Even scholars who don't believe that he was God um, know that Jesus did exist. Where we kind of get crazy on it is like well he claims to be god and he claimed to rise from the dead that's where people will part however we're not just talking about facts and events something that took place two thousand years ago we are encountering a resurrected savior right now and there are a lot of people are bearing testimony to this radical change lives which is why we've been doing this series called wildly different last week we had um, a brother from kosovo he was muslim hated christians think about this hates Christians. He was burning down churches. In the nation of Kosovo, he hated Christians so much because he believed the lie that Christians was a violent religious movement until he encounters Jesus in a dream and it radically changes his life. Now he's evangelizing Muslims and now he's evangelizing people of other religions. You don't do that for something you hate that desperately unless you really encounter a real resurrected Savior. Here's a quick, if you weren't here last week, here's a quick version of Barat's story that he recorded for us. I've been
1: praying for about 17,000 times during my life to understand the straight path. I have seen different religions and different countries fighting in the name of God and killing one another. We had a war with a country that was a Christian country. They came and killed people in my country in the name of Jesus. So I thought that actually Christianity promoted violence. After 17,000 times of prayer, I have realized actually that Jesus' life was all about love and also forgiveness. And also He will ask us to love our enemy too. After so many times of prayer and and trying to understand the straight path, I have met Jesus and I've met the straight path. During that time, God has called me to do something. And I remember that I had a dream that God asked me to build bridges between different nations. God has uh, made me, to, to help other nations to be together, united in God, and also different religions to sit together a table. We've been blessed to travel to so many different countries around the world and helping other people to be united. Here we are today, we moved to United States of America. We thought that, you know, things are gonna be hard here. And also the time that we live now, most of the people are saying, this is a crazy time. But if we go back to the Bible and we see, when was that not crazy time, when was a good time? If we start from Adam till Jesus, we see that every person in the Bible had a crazy time and a hard time. But their faith have kept them being strong in God. Because of their faith, we're still here today talking about this. And I think that this is a time where we need to understand that we need to keep our faith. Doesn't matter what we go through, this is not a crazy time, this is a normal time. Even, even that we're stuck here and we think sometimes that we don't know what to do, God has used that in a miracle ways. Me and my wife are working with 79,000 Afghani refugees all around the United States. And we've seen a powerful way that even 21 years later, after my wife was a refugee, now she's going to refugee camps and praying over different religions and different people, helping them to bring the love of
0: God. What would convince a Muslim who hates Christianity, hates Jesus, to change religions in a hostile area where, if you do this, when he became a Christian, it was just him and the whole village, no other Christians. He was alone. And for the Muslim, when you convert to another religion, you are isolated, you are rejected, you are giving up on your family. To make that kind of commitment, what would cause a person to do that unless... The encounter with Christ is real. The resurrection of Jesus is a real thing that happens. And Barat encountered a resurrected Savior. Now is evangelizing and is a missionary to people all over the world. He encountered a, a real Savior. Well, how do we encounter him today? Because I believe we too today can encounter a resurrected Savior. There's a couple of thoughts on this that that I want to talk about today. How do we encounter Jesus today? There are many ways, but there's just two that that I want to hit from the story of Jesus. So if we were to read all of Luke 24, there was these two men on this day that he rose from the grave. They're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's a seven-mile journey. And on this journey, Jesus appears to them, but they don't know it's him. The scriptures tell us he conceals who he is. And so he's talking to them, and they're telling them about how this crazy thing happened this weekend, this guy we thought was going to be Our king and politically rescues us and kind of changes everything. He dies. We lose all hope. But some women among us said he rose from the grave. And so Jesus unpacks the scriptures. And then uh, they take communion with Jesus as they get to the place they're staying. And at communion, their eyes are opened. And they said, did our hearts not burn within us as as we walked along? And so in verse 33, they go back to Jerusalem. So they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And there they found the 11 who were with him assembled together saying, It is true. It's true. Now, they only had a moment with Jesus. It's it's true, they they said. And the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. How do we encounter Jesus today? Well, these two men encountered him in but they're telling their story to the other 11 so that they would get it too. Number one, it's through other people's stories. You can encounter Jesus through stories today. This is why we were doing the series wildly different. Psalms 107, let the redeemed tell their story. Why? Because it's prophetic. When we tell our story of how Jesus has rescued us, it, 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 uh, It gives people hope because if God did it for you, who'd do it for me, when they tell the story, your own heart gets warm. It's like bearing on your conscience, And it's sacred and it's powerful. It's not just simple storytelling, like some legacy or or like some fairy tale or just like some mythical thing. No, these stories are real, real stories, real moments of Jesus, real healing that takes place, and we want that. Like if it's true for them, then it could possibly be true for me. And we encounter Jesus through the telling of stories, which is why Revelation 12 says... By the They overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You can't have a testimony unless you first had some test that you had to go through to say, Jesus got me through this test. So we started out our wildly different story with Emily Klotz, who had just, she was abducted, and, and the worst that could imagine happened to her. And now she tells her story, and it brings freedom to people. She encountered a resurrected Savior. Here's Emily's story.
2: I was out for a jog. I was 19 years old, and a man came running across the street, dragged me across the street to where his car was parked in the woods, threw me in the trunk of his car, and drove off with me in the trunk. I felt around in the darkness of that trunk, and I found a pair of handcuffs, a roll of duct tape, and a screwdriver. And I thought for sure I was gonna die. I was gonna be killed. In the moment that I thought I was gonna die, the meaning of life became crystal clear to me. I realized love God, love people, is the only thing that mattered. And I hadn't been living that way. So I vowed to live that way if I survived this. At one point I almost got away, but the man, like he pinned me on the ground And I looked him in the face, and I said, are you working for the devil? He got this weird look on his face, and he's like, no. I said, well, God is with me. Well, he ended up taking me somewhere, and he sexually assaulted me. And then he put me in the back seat of his car, and I sang Amazing Grace. And as I sang Amazing Grace, I really realized that this was God's message To him, that God's grace was available to him, even though he had just done this horrible thing. But also to me, because I wasn't saved yet. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus yet. I needed God's grace for salvation just as much. Right after this happened, I gave my heart to Jesus because God had saved my life. So the least I could do is give my life back to him. And then he prompted me to forgive the man who raped me. I saw a vision of Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so I knew I had to do the same thing, and I chose to forgive this man. Then through a miraculous set of events, two years later, I found out that this man remembered how I had sang Amazing Grace, and he broke down and cried. And he remembered how I had said, Are you working for the devil? And day after day, that phrase haunted him until he finally admitted, Yes, I have been. And he ended up giving his heart to Jesus in prison and ministering to other inmates. And now his story is part of my story. And this redemption has come full circle and God gets all the glory.
0: It's no stretch of an imagination that there are some in this room you've experienced something like this. And I'm willing to bet for that person. If I was a gambling man and you said, that's happened. Did you forgive them? I would put my money on we didn't. Are you kidding me? I was like violently abused. Or I, I grew up in a, in a terrible home. How could I ever forgive? But Emily, because she encounters a resurrected Savior in the back seat of a car with her abductor present, worships Jesus, encounters his love, and knew as she's singing it, it was for this other man. It was for him too. and somehow, only it could only be God that she was able to forgive the worst thing to happen. Now maybe that's not you but maybe for you, you're still working on forgiving your spouse after that terrible separation and the divorce that you've gone through. Maybe maybe it's some friend has betrayed you and, and has ruined your reputation or you didn't get that promotion that was promised to you. Now you have this anger and bitterness. And it could only be God that gives you a true purity for that other person. See, when she tells her story, this resonated with some of you. And it's not just emotion because real forgiveness happened. You don't overcome rape unless God really does heal you of that. And she is a free woman today, boldly declaring, without shame, without guilt, and without anger to her abductor. How is that possible? Unless the resurrection of Jesus Christ is real, and it is true. It is real. We can encounter him with, through stories. So tell your story. And like, well, I don't have a story like that. Like, my story is, listen, Jesus, when we encounter a resurrected Savior, Jesus is everybody's story. You said, well, you know what, I just grew up in a Christian home, and I've been a good boy, and I always loved the Lord. That's your story, and don't let the enemy tell you it's not powerful. I think it takes the power of Christ for someone to live, especially in this culture, with purity. It takes the power of Jesus Christ to, to live pure, to live holy, and to live without all of the junk. That's a story to be told. Don't be ashamed of it. People can encounter Jesus through your story. The other way, let's, let's keep reading here. and verse uh, 35, says, Then the two told what happened. See, they're telling the story. They told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. See, Jesus, in the gathering of God's people, like when he, when we break bread together, Jesus is here. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. Another way that we can encounter Jesus, not just through stories of others, but through celebrating communion together. Why is that? 1 Corinthians tells us that when we take communion at church, 1 Corinthians 10 says that we actually participate with Christ. And I don't think it's no accident for these two men on the road to Emmaus. They don't recognize it until they take communion. Is it possible that you've been trying to find God? Maybe you're like these men on the road to Emmaus, walking a journey not realizing God's been pursuing you. He's been walking right along. And I hope today when you leave you're recognizing Jesus because he is in this room. Matthew 18, when two or three are gathered together, there I am. The resurrected Savior is alive. And we have these stories of friends who have been right here in our own church. But there are hundreds of stories in this room who you've encountered a resurrected Savior. Don't miss him. He's with you. This next story I want to share with you was Nate Meek. He was here two weeks ago. Nate came out as 17 years old, said he was gay. He formed his own identity through homosexuality and was, was embracing this identity. And says, this is who I am. This is who I'm going to be. He, his mom invites him to church, and he didn't want to go. He put up with mom. Some of you, you did that today. Like, I'm coming for the ham, and that's it. Well, Nate encounters Jesus in the community of believers. Here's... His story. So here
3: I am at the altar, at my local church, to a service my mom's invited me to. And I have the brokenness behind me. I have every relationship that I've ever had just completely burned to the ground. A romantic relationship with a man I thought I was going to marry. Depression, drugs, alcohol, addiction pornography, everything in there. And on this other side, I've slightly begun to know what it means to be a new creation in Christ. And I just say, God, I want life. I know what it's like to survive, and now I'm beginning to know what it's like to actually live. I want that. And so slowly, over time, I went from being a millennial in my mother's basement to getting a job and having uh, friends and through walking this thing out with the church that I now belong to, I found out who I was for the first time in my whole life, age 22 and I'm just figuring out who I am. I thought I would never marry a woman from my hometown, but I met my wife in my hometown and now we've been married almost nine years and we just welcomed our fourth kid into the world And we are just so in love with our family. And this year, I celebrated being in the full-time ministry for three years. And all the while, in the background, in the conversation I had with my mom, she was praying over me. Even though my music career, despite any attempt I tried, failed. She was praying, may he be found in the house of the Lord, singing his praises. And, A young man was learning who he was in Christ, singing his heart out to God each week, is now a worship leader in full-time ministry. And I'm so thankful to be a new creation in Christ today.
0: Nate encounters a resurrected Savior in the gathering of people. Jesus is in the room. He said, I was surviving, but I was ready to start living. Maybe you're here today You've been surviving. I'm here to tell you there's resurrection life available for you. When we give our life to Jesus, it radically changes our lives for the better. Depression leaves, there's hope. Good things are coming. And in just a minute, we're gonna take communion, but before we do, I I would like to pray and give you an invitation to receive Jesus. Please don't leave today if you've not. So would you bow your heads? Just out of respect for the people around you. Let me start here. If you, maybe you one time were a follower of Jesus, maybe prayed a prayer as a child or a young adult and you've walked away from your faith or you've kind of faded, but you're here today and something's telling you, I need to reengage, I need to recommit my life to Christ. I wanna pray for you. So if that's you, I just wanna to count to three and you know I need to go all in again. Uh, I'm gonna to count to three and when I say three, just lift your hand. I, I won't embarrass you, but just wanna know that you're here and you're ready for this. One, two, three, if that's you, thank you. Go ahead and keep those up, thank you. Thank you, I am seeing many hands. Okay, thank you, you can put those down. Let me talk to someone else you're here you've never made a decision to follow Jesus maybe you're agnostic or you believe in a higher power or you believe in God but you've never really answered the question or, or come to a conclusion Jesus is the way he said I'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father none of us get to heaven without Jesus and you may think well that's narrow-minded he said it and he is the way the truth and the life and he wants to give this to you today you're here and you're ready for the first time to give your life to jesus i want to pray for you as well so i'm going to count the three and i want you to join with those others who lifted their hands and you're saying yes i'm ready how do i do that romans 10 says if we confess with our mouth and believe that Jesus is Lord, that He died and rose again, you will be saved. So we recognize we need Him, that He is Lord, He is King, He's our Creator and He wants to save us. We confess it, we will be saved. If that is you, I'm gonna count the three and I want you to lift your hand. One, your heart's probably pounding. Two, if you've been thinking about God, this means He's been pursuing you. Three, quickly lift up your hand so I can pray for you thank you many hands okay we're going to say a prayer together and I just want you to repeat after me would you say this with me Jesus let's say it louder Jesus today I invite you into my heart I believe I believe that you died and rose again and I want you to save me. Forgive me of my sin and empower me to live for you in Jesus' name.